Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Welcome. <laughs> that's, that's encouraging. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. We all know that football has started... The, essentially here in Columbus, there are two teams that you're allowed to like. No other teams matter. Both of you won yesterday, so there is no excuse to kind of sit around. Um, like, you were screaming, like, go dogs and war eagle yesterday. You can give me, a, you can give me at least a pity amen or something. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, what, is a, what even is a war eagle? I'm sorry. Um, and then the other team, you have a bulldog as a mascot. I just, I'm from Ohio. Um, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, hey, this is some good interaction we're having right now. Um, but we're going to talk about the Bible. My name is Tyler. I am the youth pastor here. I also lead young adults. Um, and by the way, if you are a, a, a West Point graduate, if you are a young private or you have just come for your freshman, sophomore, junior year of college here at CSU, uh, would you do me a favor and just come and introduce yourself to me? I'd love to get to know you. I would love to introduce you to my wife. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't get to say that very often in a, a public arena. But we would love to meet you and uh, do anything we can to make you feel comfortable and welcome here. The, the thoughts in our head can sometimes sound like this. If only I had made another choice. If only I had known this would turn out this way. If only I had done things differently. If only I wasn't so sinful. If only I had that other job. Or someday when I make more money, things will be better. Someday when I lose this weight. Someday when I have a nicer, bigger house. Someday when my kids are out of this stage. Amen. Someday when I know more Bible and pray more. Maybe then God will accept me. Or, or I wish that I was a better parent. I wish that I was a better spouse. I wish I didn't struggle with this sin. I wish I was more faithful. Or I wish I wasn't like this. The, the truth is, every single person in here, you are well acquainted with your inadequacies. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you know the ways in which you fall short. And even if you are going through a moment of success right now, whether it be in your, your faith life or parenting or, or as, as a husband, a spouse, or a single person or a student, whatever you're doing, if you're having a success now, you are pretty much sure that things will not be this way forever. We, we know what it's like to feel the pressure and anxiety of not rising to the occasion. We, we, we know what it is to live in a broken world as a, as a broken person. The things that are going really, really well now, the successes that we are, are having now, it won't be long before our brokenness is right back in our face. What I want us to see this morning in John chapter 4, what, what our story tells us is that God pursues exactly those who don't make sense to pursue. That Jesus seeks after those who don't have anything to offer him. 
that Jesus is looking for the inadequate people in the room, the people who are not in a moment of success right now, the people who are very aware of their inadequacies and deficiencies, and that he came for those who don't deserve him. So our story, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, this is a well-known story of Jesus in Samaria and meeting and having a conversation with the Samaritan woman. And I hope this morning it is very encouraging to us in the midst of whatever it is we are facing to realize that Jesus is seeking out those who don't make sense to seek out. So look with me in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, starting in verse 1. It would be helpful if you would want to grab a Bible. There are Bibles in front of you in the racks. The screen is fine. Um, The Bible is better. Starting in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you that you have given us a clear picture of what it is to be a sinner and what it is to have a perfect and holy and righteous God who loves us and seeks us out, even when we don't make sense to seek. Lord, help us to see clearly what you have done for us and what you are revealing us in this scripture. Give us your spirit. Help us to see clearly and to understand. Give us hearts that desire the things of God. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is often portrayed to us, he, he, is, he is painted and pictured to us as, as kind of this sanitized, nice, clean figure. It's, 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 a, it's a picture of this ethereal being with a radiant glow around him. You've seen the pictures, right? The, the white Jesus that is, is glowing and he's so beautiful. The problem is that though Jesus is the spotless lamb, though he never sinned himself, though he did live a perfect life as man and God, Jesus is not just a clean, sanitized Savior. We should never forget that this Jesus is also the Savior that entered into the world, entered into our brokenness to pursue the broken. We must be reminded that Jesus didn't come to exalt the areas of our lives where we're doing well, the areas of our lives where we feel very confident. He came to address the areas in which we are crumbling, the areas which produce our most crushing burdens, and he came to tend to those nasty wounds. He didn't come to lift us up in the things that we do well at. He came to, to, to call us to realize that we are sinners that we are lacking what we need to live true and proper lives as children of God. And so this is the question I have for you this morning. This is the question that I've been asking myself. Are you living, am I living as if my sin is greater than God's grace? Are you living as if your sin is greater than God's grace? Do you have hidden sins in your life that you don't want to expose because you feel that Jesus would be appalled by them? 
Do you have sin in your life that you keep hidden because you feel like Jesus is too nice and clean to deal with how nasty you are? Because if that is the case this morning, then I want you to know that there is good news for you. You do not have to live in the shadows any longer. The Jesus that we see in John chapter 4 will certainly not shy away from the nastiness of our lives. And in fact, by divine appointment, he calls those things to the surface. So I have really three truths that I want us to look at. The, really, there's one truth and then two outcomes of this truth. But the first is this. We will die without the lesser things, but we are already dead without the greater things. We will die without the lesser things, but we are already dead without the greater things. So Jesus here is coming from really a, a very spurious, tornado-like ministry. He has been with John the Baptist. He has been baptized. He's been turning water into wine. He's been, been teaching and preaching nonstop. People have been coming up to him, and the man is exhausted he is tired. He's, he's coming to a place, the scripture tells us, where they finally get to a, a place they can stop the well in Samaria, and he's tired. The, the Bible tells us that he is weary from all that he has been doing. And he wants to take just a moment to sit down. He sends his disciples to go get him food, and he, and he wants a moment for himself. And all of a sudden, in the midst of his weariness, in the midst of getting a, a moment to himself, this woman of Samaria comes up to draw water at about noon. And what we see is Jesus teaching us about the hierarchy of need. So if, if you are a psychology major, if you um, are a teacher or in the medical field, you have probably heard about Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow is a famous psychologist, and he created what is called the hierarchy of needs. And in the, the early 40s, he had this five-tiered system, and on the basis of this pyramid was kind of our felt physiological needs. So Maslow said there are certain needs that people need in life, or they will die. And so as you start reaching these needs, finding your food and your shelter, you find love, at the very top of this pyramid is kind of this self um, revelatory fulfillment in life. And so Abraham Maslow says the greatest thing you can achieve in life is feeling like you have succeeded, either in your marriage, as, as a human being, in your field of study, as a sports um, athlete, whatever it is, finding satisfaction and fulfillment is, is the top of the pyramid. And what Jesus does here for us is he says, actually, no, there, there are, there's, a, there's a greater need than that. And then Abraham Maslow actually saw that in the 70s, and he created three more tiers. And he said, no, the very top of the pyramid is actually transcendence. It's understanding the spiritual things in life. It's being influenced in your behavior, being modified by the highest possible things in life. The problem with Maslow is he's thinking in humanistic terms. He is only thinking in terms of our, our felt needs and things that, that engage us and, and, and 
persuade us to act in life. What Jesus is saying here in Scripture is that there is a greater hierarchy of need. Though he is weary and tired in this moment, the greatest need is not a cup of water from this Samaritan woman. It is the fact that she is a sinner in need of a Savior. And so Jesus turns the hierarchy of needs on top of itself and says, actually, you do need these things. You need water. You need food. And I'm a living example of that. But greater than that is your spiritual need. Because it is true, unless I eat and drink, I will die. But Samaritan woman, unless you understand the gift of God, you are already dead. And so Jesus, what the Bible is doing here is it's revealing to us that the spiritual needs that we face are even greater than our physical needs. What the Bible is doing is calling us to not be so myopic in terms of our earthly circumstance, not to always be thinking about the things that we are suffering or even the things that we find great joy in, but to understand the spiritual is the most important thing. And that is so true that Jesus, in his ministry, he even goes outside of all social accepted norms and boundaries. In, in John chapter 3, we find him talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a ruler of the people. He has wealth, money, food. He has, he has come in fully to that transcendence category. He lacks nothing. And yet he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and Jesus says, hey, unless you are born again, you are dead. And we find ourselves coming now to this Samaritan woman. She is the, the lowest of lows. So whereas Nicodemus is the best, the Samaritan woman is the worst. She is a woman of noon. Contextually, what that means is, so do you know how like it gets super hot in Georgia? After like 6.30 a.m., I don't do anything outside. Right? It's, it's hot. It's sticky. It's disgusting. I start complaining and whining. I, I don't like it. Well, the same is true for this woman. No one decides to go draw water at noon. When the sun is right on top of you and blazing down, no woman is going to take her water jar and throw it over her shoulder and go at the hottest point in the day and, and, and collect water. And yet here she is at noon traveling alone by herself. And the reason is this. She has had five husbands, and even the man she's living with now is not her husband. The other women of Samaria don't like this woman. She does not come to the well with them. She does not apparently have a social circle where she would come and chit-chat at the well. She comes all alone by herself. Because whereas we see Jesus being physically weary... This is a spiritually weary woman. Her life has caught up with her, and it is affecting everything in her life. And what the Bible wants us to see clearly is that the spiritual weariness we face is the most urgent need that we have. And so he talks to this woman, and he asks her for a drink of water. I think probably he really would have liked to have had a drink of water, but she made it a little bit weird. And she's like, well, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and plus I'm a woman. Why would you ask me these things? And Jesus says, 
Actually, let me tell you. And he begins to reveal everything about her. And we see that what Jesus sees is that, you know, this is not just a promiscuous woman coming to the well at noon. Samaritan, what I want you to understand is that you are not just a lady living in sin that has no friends. You're not just an outcast in Samaria coming to draw water by yourself. Woman, you are thirsty. The water you're getting here, you will have to come back and draw it tomorrow. But I have something even greater for you. It's living water. It's the water that will satisfy you, the water that you are longing for. It's your greatest desire. And she misunderstands him, and she says, okay, sir, well, where, where do I get this living water? He says, well, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask me, and I would simply give it to you. He's revealing the fact that she is dead in her sin. That she really is the worst. And however, we know that she's no worse than Nicodemus. What I want us to see is that God pursues broken people in all kinds of places. God pursues all kinds of broken people in all kinds of places. The gospel call is non-prejudicial. Just take a look around our church. You have different people coming from different backgrounds. Some of you are different colors. Some of you know different languages than other people. And yet you are here gathered and united, not because it makes sense for you to be together, not because you have the most in common with one another, but rather because Jesus sought you out when you shouldn't have been sought out, and he united us together in the gospel. Because the gospel is non-prejudicial. It goes to Nicodemus and it goes to the lady at the well. And so if you are feeling crushed by the burden of your sin this morning, the gospel message is for you no matter what you look like and no matter where you've come from this morning. Maybe you really do identify very clearly with this Samaritan woman. Newsflash, we're all the Samaritan woman. But maybe in particular this morning, you, you, you feel it. You, you feel like the Samaritan woman. You've walked into these doors and, and you just kind of think, if, if people knew about me, if people knew what I did last night or if people knew what I did last week, then they would laugh me and mock me out of this church. And so you're sitting there, maybe your head is down, you, you don't want to make eye contact with me right now. Maybe you really do identify. Maybe you feel like, why would God desire someone like me? How, how could God use someone like me? What I want us to see is that it's often in the midst of Jesus' weariness. It's often in the midst of Jesus' need that God uses him most clearly to fulfill the needs of others. Here's Jesus physically weary. And we know that's true because the Bible does not lie. The man is tired from ministering to people, and he needs a drink of water. And yet that's the very moment that God uses him and raises him up to meet the needs of this woman.
You see, Jesus' life is expended for the sake of the gospel. All of his ministry, from the moment he was born until the moment he will die on the cross, his life is being given out as an offering for others. I think too often we, we, we just want to jump to the cross and say, well, that's where Jesus did his greatest work. That's true, but let's not overlook all of the ministry that he did, all of the cross-centered ministry, all of the giving of himself that he did on his way to the cross. Even in his weariest moments, he's still giving himself. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I know that you are weary this morning because I am weary. I, I find myself getting weary from studying the Bible. I feel myself getting weary from making sure my Bible reading is, is where it should be. I, I, I get wearied in making sure that I am ministering to my family and my church as I should. I get wearied in the fact that I still struggle with sin. I get wearied by my battle with sin. I get wearied simply by talking to people. And yet we should not miss that our weariness and our brokenness is often the entry point that God is trying to use to minister to others. I don't want us to miss that it's often in the midst of our spiritual weariness that that is the very thing God will use as an entry point to minister to those around us. It is really short-sighted to think right now in this room as you are sitting here that you are the only one facing and suffering what you're going through. Because I can assure you that there is someone close to you, around you, that their head is bobbing out of the water they, and, and, and they are gasping and crying for a life preserver. It would be really short-sighted of us to just be so focused on our circumstances that we miss the areas in which God is, is calling us to minister to others in their weariness. If you've had a wayward child, there is someone in here right now that is anxious and worried over a child that may be going wayward. If you are not feeling confident in your parenting right now, there is someone less confident sitting around you right now. And so by Jesus' example, I don't want us to ever miss the fact that whatever we are facing, someone is facing it worse than we are. And it was in Jesus' weariness, his exhaustion, that God said, get up and give. If he called Jesus to do that, ought we not to do the same thing? To look around for those people who are gasping for air and to reach out and grab them. And say, listen, I get it. I've been there. I'm there now. Let's pray. Let's cry out to God. Let's find someone to disciple us. Let's, let's find, find someone to encourage us. Let's read scripture together. Let's cry together. I think what Jesus is, is revealing to us as he's approaching this Samaritan woman is, is the reality that we should not become so self-focused on our earthly circumstance and forget that the spiritual needs that we face and the spiritual needs of those around us are the most important thing. What a shame it would be if Jesus, knowing everything there is to know about this woman, simply said, woman, I just want a drink of water. 
I don't have time right now. You have no idea how tired I am. Just give me a drink. I don't believe in cooties. I'll drink out of your water jar. Just be quiet and give me some water. And yet that's not what our Lord does. He cares for her. He uses his weariness as a point of ministering to her. He loves her. And I think this is just a natural expression of the gospel. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This, this is just naturally what it looks like to be a believer. To, to, to be suffering something, to be weary, to be tired, to be burdened. That is the gospel life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul is saying there is, listen, grace is the only sufficient thing in my life. My abilities count for nothing. In fact, our weariness and our weakness are the one thing that prove God is the most powerful in the world. I'm telling you, if God can work through someone like me, He can do anything. If God can work through someone like you in, in the midst of all of your brokenness, in the midst of all of your struggles with your sins, in the midst of all of your anxiety over your parenting or your marriage or whatever, if God can shine forth his glory through people like us, he can do anything. And that's exactly who he presents himself to be. God uses our weariness to reveal his ability to work powerfully through our brokenness. And so, um, just in case we are tempted to say, okay, well, if that's the case, then I'm just fine with my sin. I'm just fine with being broken. I'm fine with having a subpar marriage or, or whatever. Let's not, let's hit, pump the brakes. Because though God is not affected by our sin, it, it does not scare him away. Jesus is not going to look at us and, and turn around running that's true. But just as certain as it is that Jesus meets us where we are, we're going to see in this woman's life that he most certainly does not leave us there. And so I think that it is true that we are thirsty, that we are dead in our sins, and that Christ has come to save us. He has come to give us all that we need. And I think that there are two outcomes because of that. And the first is this, encountering Jesus and experiencing his grace reorients our lives. Encountering Jesus and experiencing his grace reorients our lives. Look with me in verse 28. It says here, So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, in verse 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So, I don't want to spiritualize this too much, but I think it is really significant that John took the, the time to tell us that the woman left her water jar and she ran into town. What we should see is that when we encounter Jesus and experience His grace, that we are given a new and urgent desire 
for the greater things. The, the things that used to mean a lot to her, they don't mean so much to her anymore. The, the water jar would be really important for her to go back day after day and to get water for her and for apparently the man she is living with. It, it's not just something you would run across and be able to kind of just get like, well, man, I left my Dixie cup. I'll just get another one because they cost one penny. Like a water jar is, is, a, is a big deal. You, you don't just run across those and you don't just have enough money to like reproduce water jars. And so when Jesus is exposing her sin to her, when he, is, when he is bringing all of her sinful life to bear upon her, the one thing she does is she drops her water jar and she runs into town to tell everyone what Christ has just told her. The woman of noon, the woman who has no social circles, the woman who comes and draws water by herself, she leaves the one thing she has and she goes to the very people that despise her and she tells them of this Savior that she has just met. Because when we encounter Jesus, He does not leave us what we were. He gives us a new and urgent desire. What has happened is that the light of Christ has exposed the darkness around her. She is seeing things properly for the first time in her life. And what it causes her to do is it causes her to run into town and say the one thing that makes the least sense to confess before a, a crowd of people. This man, Jesus, just told me everything I've ever done. Well, they know what she's done. They know all about her. And the one thing she says is, Jesus knows everything that you know, and yet there's good news. It's the first time she's ever properly seen her sin. Not merely something to be ashamed of, not merely something to hide away in the darkness, not something merely to keep you from having friends, but something that Christ has come to deal with. And so she has a newfound focus in bringing others to Jesus to receive the living water that Jesus has talked about and that he has just offered her. There, there's a change in her worship Right? We know she is a spiritual person because she has this whole dialogue with Jesus about where we're supposed to actually worship God. Is it in Samaria or is it in Jerusalem? The Jews say Jerusalem, but my father says Samaria. And Jesus says, woman, it, does, it doesn't matter on what mountain. And she gets that because she goes into town, she confesses her sin, and she says, come not to a mountain, but come see Jesus. Come see a man that, has, that, that told me everything that I've done. There's a radical change in her worship from a place to a person. She's a testimony to what God does. The Samaritan woman is a testimony to what God does. She's a testimony to, to what Jesus came to do. Brothers and sisters, if you are living in, in open, unrepentant sin today, the good news for you is that Jesus came to address that. 
If, if you are a believer and you have those hidden sins and you, you came in with unconfessed sin, the good news is Jesus came to confront that. And he's come to offer you something better. Not just a momentary satisfaction, not just a momentary confession of sin, but he wants to replace that with living water. He, he wants to take your sin and your shame and he wants to give you his righteousness and his joy. He wants to take the things that you think are too dirty for him to take. And he wants to wash you clean. Don't withhold that from him because you think that your sin is greater than his grace. Isn't it true that our greatest hindrance to our worship is the baggage that we bring? <laughs> yes, it is. Just think of your corporate worship this morning. There are times when I am singing worship songs, and if you ever sit over here, you've seen me cry here. Because the things that I've brought into my corporate worship, the things that I have brought with me, the baggage that I've brought into the room with me, sometimes it feels so heavy that I, I just think there's no way God can deal with this stuff. There's no way God would accept me because of these things. And then we sing some sort of song that addresses exactly that, and it brings me to tears because I realize that God's grace is greater than my baggage. That his work on the cross is more sufficient than the, the life of sin that I may struggle with. And so we, we come into the room and our minds are cluttered with, with worries over money or, or, or houses breaking down or our bodies are breaking down. We're, we're disappointed with our children's response to, to our, our spankings. I, we do that at our house. I'm just, we spank, so. Um, or the severe talkings, too, that we give. Um, our trials, our insecurities, and our brokenness. And, it, and, and we, we can come into these doors and it's, it's almost like we're just like every step we take is just the heaviest step and then we come into the room and we're like, we're not even worthy. And the woman of Samaria would say, yes, that's true, you're not worthy. But come meet a Savior that told me everything that I ever did. And offered me, a woman of Samaria, the grace of living water. The chance to be satisfied forever. Me, a woman with five previous men living in, a, in an adulterous relationship now, offered to exchange all of this for eternal life. It's always the case that the greatest hindrance to our worship is our baggage. But I want us to be careful that we don't exalt our baggage so high that we block our view of the cross. That we come into this room with our burdens and our, and our struggles and we are so hyper-focused on those things that we miss the fact that the cross is the offer to drop the water jar. 
to be reoriented in our understanding of what is most necessary, to be reminded that the cross is, is essentially what, what Jesus is saying on the cross is, you can give it all up and I will give you everything that you need. So the grip you have on trying to be good enough, the grip you have on trying to eradicate sin from your life, the grip you have on being so depressed about your marriage or your parenting or the fact that you are not married or the fact that you may not be able to have children, those burdens you are carrying, you can let go. Because what I have to offer you is eternal satisfaction in the things that will matter forever. Your momentary struggles, your momentary burdens, let them go. Because what I have done, what I will do on the cross for you, it is an assurance, Samaritan woman, of what we have started here at this well. The revelation that you have come to at the well the confession that you took to the Samaritan people, all of that will be completed. And one day all of, this, all of, all of these burdens, all of this struggle, all of the, the anxiety that you have faced, one day because of what I will do, it will surely and fully and finally be eradicated from your life. And the hope you can have now in the midst of all of that is that that is true. So sometimes when I'm singing or we, we, we read a scripture that is just too beautiful and I start crying, the reason I think I cry is because I'm just thinking, God, what you promise in, in your word, what you promise by these worship songs, it is true. And it will be mine. And it is mine. And that in my weakness, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the baggage that's on my mind, it's these things that you use to exalt yourself and to prove that you are powerful, not just to other people, but to me and my own heart. Because I am the Samaritan woman. And so what I think is unmistakably clear here is that the very grace God works in us, He also works out of us. Not just for our good, but for the good of others. I think there is really a clear moment in this, in this woman's life. And so when we, when we looked at the first point, I didn't give a comment whether or not I think she is regenerate. Whether I think she really believed in the Lord and, and we're good to go. Because I, I don't know. I think the outcome of her life, though points to something happening in a major way. Because a normal person doesn't act like this. So I think there is a clear moment when we go from being defined as broken vessels to vessels that God uses to shine forth His glory. There is a clear moment when we go from just being the broken, sinful, struggling people that we are to the very thing God uses to shine forth His glory to others. If you're struggling with something today, again, someone else is struggling with that thing. 
what glory to God it would be for him to use you for the sake of reminding someone else of the gospel. Not in the moments where you are put together, but exactly in the midst of your brokenness. And so the third point is this, encountering Jesus and experiencing his grace leads us to be used by him. Encountering Jesus and experiencing his grace leads us to be used by him. So God is without a question working in the world. The, the reason I think that is so is because in verses 31 through 42, Jesus is talking about the harvest, and he's talking about the harvest in terms of it happening right now. I know that God is clearly at work in the world because of my own personal life. I have experienced firsthand what it means for God to be sowing the seeds of the gospel and for those to take root in someone's life. You have experienced that. Look around right now. There is evidence that God is still saving people. There's, there's someone in this room right now that you know that you knew before when they were not a believer and now you know them as a believer. You have physical evidence in front of you that God is saving people. And if you don't know anyone, look to yourself if you are a believer. And so what I want to see, what, 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 what I want to, want to make sure that is clear here from these verses is that Jesus doesn't labor in barren fields. Jesus is not working in the world. He's not spinning his wheels and hoping that the outcome will be good. Jesus doesn't labor in barren fields and neither does this Samaritan woman. The first thing she does after, after encountering Jesus is she goes to her people, confesses her sin, and calls them to come meet Christ. They do, and they believe in him. Because God is sowing the seeds of the gospel. I believe that even right now, God is sowing the seeds of the gospel. In, in this very room, at this very moment, God is sowing, and he is reaping through his intended means. Unbeliever, maybe God is working in your heart right now and you're not even clear that it's happening. But where the gospel is lifted up, where the gospel is heralded, where, where Jesus is introduced, where you experience him, where you have his grace come upon you, the work of the Lord is taking place. And I believe that's happening right now in our midst I don't want anyone to ever be tempted to believe that they're too messy for Jesus. I would never want an unbeliever to come into this church and believe that they are just too sinful. That, that, that they're not good enough to come into Cross Point Church. Because the reality is none of us are good enough to come in here and to do what we are doing. It is only by the grace of God that he is using us for his glory. If your life is very well put together today, or if your life is in shambles today, know that God's grace is greater than your sin. I want us to aspire to be like this Samaritan woman. I, I, I want to be this Samaritan woman. I want to go to people and to, to cry out, come and see and believe that this is the Savior of the world. Who knows all that I ever did. 
My Jesus is the Jesus who knows my past. He knows what I've done. He knows the struggles that I face now. And yet he has still offered and given me his grace. Springer read Romans chapter 5. And I just want to remind you of verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you are a believer in this room, you are an undeniable testimony to the glory of God and the grace of Christ. Because you, as a believer, were never good enough to receive what you have been given. In fact, while you were an enemy of God, He sought you out. He changed your heart. And He is now using you as an intended means to bring others to salvation. I think the great truth contained in these scriptures is the reality that God seeks us out to give us grace. I think the great truth in these scriptures is that God seeks us out to give us grace. God will not seek you out this morning to exalt your awesomeness. He he is not going to come into this room and elevate you and your abilities and your skills and and, and your your wonderful behaviors and and attitudes and your, your winsomeness. What God has proved He will do is that He will descend into the midst of our brokenness and He will tend to our dirty wounds. The gospel call is that no matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've experienced or what sins you are currently struggling with, Jesus is calling you to come to Him and to worship Him. To come and experience true life and eternal hope. And to give up trying to be good enough and let his work on the cross be enough. To come empty and to be filled. And to be reminded that these things are true. That if God loves the Samaritan woman this much, then he can certainly love us. If God is able and willing to love this Samaritan woman, then he is able and willing to love us. My hope is that we would run and confess, come meet the Christ who told me all that I ever did. I want us to dwell on these truths here in just a moment. We are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It is the first Sunday of the month, and it's our tradition here at Cross Point Church to take communion And we do that as a family meal. And so we would invite you, members of Cross Point Church, Bible-believing Christians of other churches, or if you are not yet a member of Cross Point and you are like-minded in faith and belief, we would invite you to come and partake in the Lord's Supper, to celebrate the cross of Christ, to celebrate His flesh being given over for you and His blood being spilled for you. We would invite you to come and, and, and to celebrate that with us. But I do want to give a word of warning that if that's not who you are, if you do not confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, in love we ask you not to, to take this meal with us. 
The Bible says clearly in 1 Corinthians that those who take the meal in an unworthy manner drink and eat condemnation on themselves. And so if you can in good conscience take this meal with us, we would count it joy to celebrate with you. But if you are an unbeliever, please don't take this meal, but do, however, come and talk to, to, to a believer after. I want the ushers to go ahead and come forward and take your places and um, go ahead and stand and I will pray in just a moment. And as you find yourself ready, you can make your way to one of the ushers um, around the sanctuary. And um, after we do receive the elements, um, one of our elders, Ruben Moyana, is going to come and lead us in taking the elements and celebrating the supper together. So wait for him to come and give us clear instruction but um, I would just encourage you to pray, to, to come and to go back to your seat and, and pray. Confess your sins and trust that what we are celebrating this morning is sufficient and it is greater than our brokenness and our sinfulness and that the grace of God is sufficient even when we are very insufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness to us. We just pray in this moment that the gospel would have gone forth very clearly, that you would indeed be sowing and reaping, that you would be working in the hearts of unbelievers and believers alike, that you would be revealing our sin to us and, and bringing us to a saving faith, Lord. Maybe this morning what we need is, is, is a clear conscience to come before you knowing that there is nothing that we are trying to hide from you, but we are in fact bringing everything to you and that we are coming to you and, and we, we, we are dropping our watering jars and we are saying, God, it is yours. Give me grace. Take my sin and give me righteousness. Remind me of the work that you have done in me. Remind me that the work you have started, you will finish. But I pray, too, that what we will do together as, as believers will be a clear picture to the unbelievers in our midst that we don't find satisfaction in the things of life, that we don't see our, our felt physical needs as being the most important, but rather that we are sinners in need of spiritual salvation and spiritual renewal. And that we believe and herald that it is only by the flesh of Christ and his blood that we are made right with our creator. And that we are washed clean of our filth. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the work that you have done in Christ. And we lift him up and exalt him and him alone. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.